I'm here. And I'm not dead, and I'm not dead for a reason. You know, I... Is this your first time back to the very spot? Mm, yeah, maybe standing. Yeah. Not riding by, but definitely standing. But, um... What happened after that? I, I ran, and my life changed forever. Um, let's. This is Free Scotty J, a documentary podcast series from the Charleston Activist Network. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden. And if you haven't had an opportunity to listen to episode one, I encourage you to go back and give it a listen. The intro audio begins a little bit like this episode, episode two. We're on a corner in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, just a few blocks away from Johnson C. Smith University. Scotty, our series primary figure, is walking me back to that night in 1996 where he committed his crime. And you can hear in his voice in this intro, you can hear reluctance. It's... um. From what I gather in subsequent conversations, it's an emotional topic, understandably so. And Scotty is very, very careful that he doesn't say the wrong things or, you know, touch on topics that are very sensitive. So we abruptly stop recording um, and in this instance. But, but what we discuss later, what I encourage Scotty to do as an exercise turned into an episode. I wanted him to really take me back to what his mind state was like at age 17. You know, freshman in college, you know, popular jock from Charleston, South Carolina, and then you make this huge mistake. I want to know what went into his decision making, if anything did, how he felt. I, I wanted to get as much information as I possibly could to help us all understand how this could happen. So on this episode, we not only speak to or listen to Scotty, I invited his friend Nate. Nate, like Scotty, has a very unique story to tell. He was 17 when he committed his crime. And from my extensive conversation with Nate, a conversation I really, really enjoyed and, and because I learned so much about, about men who come in contact with the criminal justice system and men who were incarcerated Uh, after that conversation with Nate I walked away with a lot of questions and a few more answers so you'll hear Nate in the second half of this uh in the second half of this episode and hopefully from from both men hopefully I I don't encourage sympathy I, I want I want to encourage understanding I want to take these flat figures that we can read about and make them more dynamic. I want you to see them in, in, in from all angles, essentially. And that's what I'm attempting to do by inviting so many different voices along the way throughout this podcast series. So please give it a listen. We're going to start off first with Scotty taking us back, back to 1996 and what he did immediately following the commission of his crime. 
listen to his thought process. Listen to his ration, how he rationalizes decision making. And then we can talk about it later. So we went from Charlotte. I told him to take me to Columbia, but I knew, I knew the police. That would be like the first place they'd be looking for me at is in Columbia. But I knew I didn't want them to leave me alone. I didn't want to be by myself. So when we got to Columbia, before we got to Columbia, I said, no, man, no, no, take me to Augusta. I Because they were looking for a bus stop. I'm like, man, take me to Augusta, man. Take me to Augusta. And I knew Augusta was probably like another hour and a half away. And when we got to Augusta, you know, I knew where the bus stop was. But I was just telling them lies. I was like, no, man, you know what, man, just take me to Atlanta. So we go to Atlanta. We go to the bus stop in Atlanta. You know, um, the guy that was uh, in the, um, the guy that wasn't driving, uh, me and him got a bus ticket. He said, man, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to hold you down. We're going to go through this shit together. So he had a brother that went to Fisk University in Nashville, Tennessee. So uh, we caught the bus from Atlanta to Nashville. And I stayed in, uh, we stayed in a dormitory for like two days before my brother came and got me. Okay, so, so basically you're on the run. I'm on the run. I want to say, I don't think it was a week. You know, I I think I went to went to Nashville. Probably stayed in Nashville like two days. Then I came back to Charleston. Wait, 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 wait. Because you got to back up. All right, so you end up at Fisk University mm-hmm. in the dorm. So I'm at Fisk. Does the person know that you're running from? Oh yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. So, I'm at Fisk. Um, what I remember about that time is um, I couldn't eat. Um, you didn't have any appetite? I didn't have no appetite. Uh, I couldn't get high. I was smoking. It was like just smoking air. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I think, you know, the reality of the situation really was sitting in setting in and I just knew that my life would be different forever. So did you reach out to family? Yeah, eventually I did. I I called here. Now what's here? Red Red Top? Red Top. Who'd you you call? I just called the the Red Top and and everybody was here. They were looking for you? They were passing the form like Everybody was like, Scotty, turn yourself in. Hell no. Scotty, turn yourself in. You were saying hell no? Hell no. Scotty, turn yourself in. Hell no. So you pat, they're passing the phone, and then who's the last person? My mom. Mm-hmm. And she mm-hmm. said, baby, turn yourself in. It's going to be all right. You can't run forever. Just come on home. I wonder how she found out. You ever the news. Out? You won't see you. Oh no, it happened really fast. So I know. So everybody in what city though? What news? Charleston. So they tied it back here. Real yeah, because they knew I was from Charleston. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so um, so my I stayed in Nashville. My brother came and got me. Mm-hmm. 
and we didn't want to come straight here to Red Top. So wait, no, take it, take it slow. So okay. You, your brother, your, this is your older brother. My older brother. And is he driving down to get you? Yeah, okay. him, him and his homeboy. Oh, okay. Him and his homeboy, they came. I mean, now how how much was at that time was your brother in school himself? Where was he? Yeah, so I was actually. If I was a freshman, shoot, he might have been either um, a senior in college. Okay. Or right. just graduated. Right. Okay. So he came down with a friend of his. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To pick me up. I wonder how long that drive is. Oh, I don't know, but I know the drive back was forever. For real? Because I was driving back. It's like. It's like you drive. It's like you driving back to something real bad that you know you gotta face. But if you keep running, it's gonna prolong it. Mm-hmm. So that was a long ride back. How'd you feel like when your brother came? Like what? Take me back to what? Like when I, when, I, when I when I saw when, when he came, I felt safe. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because I always kind of view my brother as a father figure mm-hmm. so did y'all like well, so he met you at the dormitory on mm-hmm. the fist campus yeah and then how was that like did you cry i didn't cry mm-hmm. i didn't cry so he came to the campus and got me and we drove from nashville to charleston to a hotel on Highway 17. You know, it wasn't home because we didn't want to come here because we thought the police was watching right. the house. Okay. So we went there just to just to chill and come up with a game plan. You, your brother, and his friend. No, they oh, dropped me. They left me there. They went home. They they left me. They, I was there by myself. So what was the game plan? Who was coming with the game plan? So the so so the game so the game plan we came up with is who's to, we. The family. Okay. So um, the game plan we came up with is, uh, I think at the time, chief the um, chief of police was Chief Reuben Greenberg, I believe, mm. and the family had some sort of relationship with him. Is he black? Yeah. Okay. And so they called him and you know and told him what was going on, and they sent the squad car over here, and I was able to turn myself in. And I think what I really was afraid of mm-hmm. during that process is being in a house somewhere and the door getting kicked open and right. I got these guns on me right. and all. So like a, I yeah, like yeah. a scene. Uh huh. So okay. But the but when I did share the tear is um before I turned myself in, my oldest brother he gave me a hug. And kiss me on my forehead. And that touched me. The following voice you'll hear will be that of Nate. Uh, Nate, again, is a friend of Scotty. Both of these gentlemen were incarcerated at at least one institution together. They, they spent time behind bars together. Um, and they have maintained their friendship that was forged while both were incarcerated. And... 
why I wanted why I wanted Nate again just to reiterate Nate was I believe 17 yeah he was 17 the same age Scotty was when he committed his crime now now Nate is going to take you essentially from start to finish um regarding his crime uh, and I wanted him to really just help me understand how at age 17 you could land in so much trouble and his story does go back a little deep right some might listen and say well is this important it's important and why I kept it in is kept in all of the details was because it really really I mean it reminded me of someone I knew you should be able to see a specific 17 year old after having listened to Nate and when you take those details and then you couple it with perhaps uh, his socioeconomic, uh, uh, his socioeconomic situation and his his surrounding, you might get a better understanding as to what Nate was really up against. And so, please uh, listen to his story. Um, you'll also learn that Nate never told this story to anyone before, not in this fashion. And he mentioned to me after we finished recording how it was somewhat cathartic and so that's another thing I'm learning when having these interviews what these uh, men and femmes what they hold inside of them once they committed their crime and re-enter society there's a lot of trauma there's a lot of unpacked or uh, undealt with feelings and you can hear a lot of that with Nate Um, I'm very grateful to him for his generosity and his candor And I hope that this conversation helps not just other Nates and other Scotties, but I hope that this conversation um, really does educate so many listening. After we hear from Nate, I'll catch you on the other side. Hey, what's up, Nate? Hey, Mika, how you doing? I'm doing good. It's, It's nice to finally meet you. Likewise. Um, I really wanted to bring uh, uh, another voice to the podcast, um, especially someone who is familiar with Scotty and his his journey. But specifically, the second episode, I really wanted to help folks understand more of the mindset of a young person who finds himself committing a crime at a very tender age. And I, and from what I understand, you both you and Scotty share. Uh, a similar path. So, but, but first and foremost, can you just introduce yourself and just give as much information about who you are as as, as you're comfortable with? Sure, there's no problem. Uh, my name is Nate. Uh, I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm uh, 41 years old, uh, married uh, with with one child. I mean, that's, that's my life today. I was uh, locked up in 1995 and I stayed incarcerated until 2007. Would you mind sharing what what you were locked up for? Uh, it was a, a robbery initially that uh, I guess you could say it went wrong because I, I ended up with uh, kidnapping charges and assault charges along with the robbery charge. And... Uh, Wow. I was uh, and being being young and, and naive at the time, I had I was completely ignorant to the law 
I had no idea, you know, what I was in for. Um, you know, once I first got locked up and, you know, it's a ton of jailhouse lawyers telling you what you need to do and what you need to say and how you need to say it. But at the same time, you know, I was still, you know, ignorant. I knew, I didn't know what was going on. But uh, after all was said and done, I uh, took a plea for 140 to 196 months. That's like uh, 11 years and eight months to 16 years and four months. And it, I was sentenced like that. I was actually one of the first people sentenced under uh, North Carolina's new structured sentencing law back then. I think the law came into effect in 94. I was sentenced under it in 95. And uh, that's just mandatory sentencing. Uh, like so, I said, I was sentenced. So, I'm sorry to interrupt. Were, were those more like more severe uh, sentencing um, standards? The new right, yeah. I guess there's mandatory minimums. Like beforehand, it would uh, North Carolina use what they call the fair sentencing act. Whereas you'll get, for instance, ten years, they'll cut it to five, and you'll do two and a half. You know that's that was just fair sentencing on good due to your good behavior or what have. You. As far as with the structured sentencing, the new sentencing laws, whatever your minimum sentence was, for my, in my case, it was the 140 months. 144 months or something like that. That I was gonna do that, regardless of how good I was or what I did. I was gonna do that. Now, if I wanted to go in there and cut up and get in trouble and and show I get all these write-ups, then I was gonna do 16 years then. And out of the 12 years that that I was going, you know, I I, I must admit I, I wasn't an angel, but uh, I got into a little bit of trouble. That's how I ended up doing 12 years and four months. You know, uh, a little over a year over my minimum sentence because I lost days. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with credit time and game time and stuff, but you know, due to my infractions, I lost certain days. I couldn't get them back. So therefore, I did more than my minimum sentence. Oh, and that's, okay. how, that's how the structure of sentencing act works. Can you, can you tell me, and I really appreciate you sharing um, these details and also sharing how difficult it was for you to kind of be on the straight and narrow and, um, you know, say like you weren't any angel or anything like that. I appreciate you being candid about your experience, but but can you um, back up for me and, and kind of try to remember what it was that drove you to commit the crime? If, if you can remember um, your mindset or what drove you down the path that you ended up on. I remember that you no know, vividly, but it's it's a lo- it's kind of like a long story because it, it goes back beyond the crime. You know, I have to introduce you know what I'm saying the victim per se, and then bring you up to the crime bit, and it, it'll just give you an understanding of why you know the the crime was committed. Not saying that it was right or wrong, but you know just why. Yeah. It, I, yeah, I want to listen. I want to hear that. Okay. Uh, it was. 95 I'd, uh, I was I was dating this girl and she had stayed in this uh, apartment building it was like a high rise and uh, I used to go over there you know hang out with her and there was some picnic tables in front of the high rise you know like where the residents would go out there and eat or whatever and we were sitting out there one afternoon and this guy that stays in her building he comes up and she obviously knows him, knows him you know, they, you know, exchange pleasantries or whatever. 
and he kind of giving me the side eye. And you know, back then, you know, I was, I don't know, I was, I was real hardhead. I mean, I ain't. So you know, me, I'm like, my response was, you know, why are you watching me? And you know, I guess you know him being like me, you know, he kind of you know got slick at the mouth. He said something to the effect of. Uh, I do what I want to, or I look at you if I want to, or something. And uh, he had a gun in his hip. He had a little jacket on, and he pulled his jacket back, and he showed the gun in his hip. So I'm like, wow. Hmm. So at the time, I ain't had no gun on me or nothing. So I was like, okay, you got a women or whatever, bro. And, you know, he went on in the building, you know. I, you know, me and uh, my friend, we had a little exchange, you know, about the. I'm like, that's your, that's your people? That's your boyfriend? What's, what's his deal? You know, she's like, nah, I think he liked me. You know, all that. But anyway, uh, that was the first time I encountered dudes and stuff. And it was probably a week later, maybe two weeks later. I was coming downstairs. I was getting off the elevator. And he was getting on the elevator as I was getting off. And I'm like, this is crazy. My best guy, all the people in the building, I got to run him again. But, uh, and uh, I like I said, I, I would just go ignore him. But, you know, I walked past him. I was getting off. He was getting on. And he was like, uh, yeah, you don't want it. Or just something, something just leaked. I mean, just, and I, I don't remember exactly. It was just something like, you know where it's at if you, can, if you want it or just some old slick man and like I said uh, I, I, I was far from soft back then and, and I just felt like he was testing my gangster trying to you know show out you know show old girl the you know bigger guy was you know just pissing contest and uh, I, at the time I'm, I'm your guy you know, we can we can do that so uh, but that day that particular day you know I left you know that, nothing happened that day and uh, it was maybe a month, I say maybe a month later. Yeah, it'd be about a month later. No, it was a couple of months. I believe it's summer because it was cool. Yeah, it may have been two or three months later. You know, I hadn't seen him in there. You know, I still been going over there. You know, with my friend and stuff. But uh, I hadn't ran into him. But it was one particular day I was with uh, one of my homeboys, my who happens to be my Cody, and uh, he uh. Wait, when you said co, you mean co-defendant? Co-defendant, yes. Yeah. We were together, and uh, I was just—I was going by just to stop in and see her. I might have had something to give her, or something, but I wasn't staying. I was just, you know, going by. And uh, he pulled up. The guy did while we were in the car, and I told my uh, told my homeboy, I'm like, look, I've been told him about the dude. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, look, there you go, right there. And my my. <laughs> My, my, my Cody, you know, he's the one. He's he's trained to go. You know, he's the uh, he's the one. <laughs> hey, he said so. So Nate, I just learned what train to go meant uh, this weekend um, on a road trip. Can you tell me what train to go means? Train to go means, I mean, whatever the case. I mean, whatever needs to be done, it's it's gonna happen. You know, ready, train ready, to go. Means, yeah, ready to fight. Be ready to fight. Ready to whatever, whatever needs to be done. You know. Okay. Like right, like for instance, like right now, my my TTG, my train to go is for fishing. If somebody say anything about fishing, I'm TTG. I'm train to go. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I love. You know what I mean? It's just a lifestyle change. <laughs> I, I'm happy to hear that. I'm happy to hear you that. Really? <laughs> 
But uh, like I said, he was that guy. And uh, like I said, look, they're gonna do right there. He like, oh, let's get him, you know. And uh, just like it's my ego and my pride, and I said, yeah, we can get him, and we got him. And it was just supposed to be what I thought in my mind. We was going to hem him up, you know, as he was getting out of the car in the parking lot. We would hem him up in between the cars, you know, run his pockets and rough him up a little bit. That was that was what that was the thought process in my mind, you know. But uh, once we ran up on him, we scared him. He didn't really, you know, resist too much. You know what I'm saying? And then like three or four cars pulled in the parking lot. And we sitting out here with a gun, with this guy, you know, in between the cars. All he got to do is holler, you know, like real loud, you know, just draw attention to where we are. But I believe the gun really scared him, you know, so he was just like terrified. We like, get in the car, get in the car. And he got in the car and uh, Cody got in the back seat with him and I got in and drove, we drove his car. So we pulled off. And took him to uh, this little cut, and it was just like this little dirt road go down, probably a quarter mile, and then it opened up to like a big field. You know, by this time, you know, he, you know, he's like, look, just take whatever you want. Uh, I got this, I got that, and it just so happened that he was like a co-owner of a pawn shop. Now I knew nothing about this at the time, but uh, and he had a whole lot of stuff in the back of the car, like uh, radios. Uh, CD players and like I said it's 1995 at the time so we had Walkmans and you know all that stuff you know just back there in the back and stuff. so I'm like oh man we gotta get all this I was content with that you know just you know and leaving them back there just leaving them you know I mean he won't hurt or nothing I mean, he might kick them around but he, I mean, he won't hurt or nothing but uh when we would know we got a bag a duffel bag out of the his uh, car and started putting like the stuff they had in there in the duffel bag. We got ready to go. I guess he got a little leap of faith. You know, I, I don't know what got into him, but he was ready to fight, you know? Mm. And uh, he got shot. Okay. Do you know who shot? Yeah. Okay. We both shot. Okay. And wow. uh, what were you What were you thinking when, when you fired your weapon? Back up. That's all, man. I want to kill shot, you know. I was just like, back up, hell wrong with you, you know. Okay. Crazy. And I mean, that was just, I mean, it wasn't like no panic uh, or nothing, you know. It was just like, hell wrong with you. you bitch. I got a gun, fool, you know. <laughs> so, you know, he shot him in the leg. You know, he fell, and, you know, that was that. I won't worry about him no more. Now, you know, we got to get the hell away from him. And that's what we did. You know, we left him right there. And then you went on the run? No, not so much as on the run and shit. I went home. <laughs> you know, I went, I dropped, I dropped, bro, you know, uh, where we actually, we took the, uh, took the car and left it like up under a bridge close to where he stayed, where, where we had, uh, by the parking lot, but it was like on another side where it was crazy. You couldn't get to the car from the parking lot, but you could see the car from the parking lot. You know, that you had to go around a whole block to get to the car. But we parked it over there, left it till you know. I went home, and like I said, I mean, I was I wasn't really you know too worried about. It. Like I said, I've been in I've been in the streets, you know, up to this point for about three or four years. So um, just that lifestyle wasn't 
you know, like a shock to me. You know, so I had seen robberies, you know, saying so that wasn't the first robbery I had done. Um, I didn't see people die, I didn't know uh, just the street life. I mean, I, I've seen it, you know, so like I said, you know, some people say they couldn't sleep after they committed their crime, you know what I'm saying? But like I said, I went home and I, I, was, I was cool with it. And it just so happened that uh, a few weeks later, one well actually one of some of the some of the stuff that we got off the guy was a watch. It was a watch. It was a nice watch. It wasn't a Rolex. I don't remember what it was, but it was real nice. So um, my Cody was wearing it, and like I said, we were still in school. We were going to uh, one of the local high schools in Raleigh and shit, you know. Said, you said Riley. You said Riley. This was in Riley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And uh, so he was going to school. I was actually on a suspension <laughs> at the time, but I know I wasn't in school because I was used to be bored sitting home all day. But anyway, he went to school and he had this watch on. Somebody, somebody called me and said that uh, the police was up there and they had my Cody in the office with the principal and stuff. And what I found out later, because it was my understanding, like after we did it, we ain't tell nobody. I know I ain't tell nobody. But, you know, my Cody, he obviously told somebody because the phone call that I got was telling me, you know what I'm saying, that they looking at the watch on his wrist, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, that got to be, you know, some something they got to do with what we got going on. You know, they, they just go sweat nobody watch because they got a watch on. They looking for that particular watch. But I'm like, how they know where he at, who we are? You know, all this is running through my mind. You know, so I'm like, well, anyway. But to make a long story short, you know, uh, they had actually been canvassing the neighborhood over there where we had stayed. And uh, they picked up one of my homeboys. And my Cody had told him what we did. So when they picked him up, he was uh, selling coke and guns and stuff out of his house. So when they picked him up, they scared him with a lot of time. If they couldn't tell him about the robbery that occurred over such, 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 such. And it just so happened that he knew about the robbery over such, 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 such. So to save himself, he told on us. Now, at the time, I didn't know this. I figured it was still between them. But once, you know, the, the, the watch thing come out, I kind of like put it together. I'm like, okay, they ran up an old boy house. Okay, I say this house going down. So I was staying with my mom at the time, and I I just moved back in with my mom for like I'd been there like two months, you know, and I had stayed with my mom years. So I was really digging that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But uh, I was uh, I was I got real paranoid. I got super paranoid. You know, I ain't tell my mom what was going on, but I told her I needed to go. And, you know, her thing was, you just got here. Da, 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 da. I'm like, look, I need to go. So uh, that night, I went out. We went to the movies. I will never forget it. And uh, after the movie, we went back to her house. And uh, I was, like, tired. I was, like, super tired. I was, like, I need to go home, though, because I'm planning to leave the next morning. I don't know where I'm going now. I just know, you know, I'm getting out of Raleigh. I gotta find somewhere to go. You know, I'm gonna put it all in the place the next morning. And this is my point in going out with her. I explained everything to her and stuff. So I was like, I'm tired, though. I need to go home. I ain't never go home. <laughs> I went, I uh, spent the night and got up the next morning, got to the house. 
I used to get my mom a newspaper every morning. So when I got to the house, I forgot to get the newspaper on my way in. So I jumped on my sister's bike. I had a little sister. You know, I still got a little sister. But, you know, I jumped on her bike and uh, shot to the store. When I came back from the store with the newspaper, I gave it to my mom. I got the metro section. That's the local news. Went back to my room trying to see if, you know, anything is anything about me. I believe, like, right when I put the newspaper down, it was a knock at the door, and it was in boys, and the rest is history. <laughs> That's crazy. I, I, I don't think I've ever told it, yo, like that. I don't, I don't tell it, it's just, like, not so much as reliving it, but just, like, remembering. I'm like, damn, yeah. I was tripping, yo. I was... Yeah, what what do you what do you feel about like so now you're in your early forties and you think back on like young Nate and like all of the decisions you made. Like you said, you weren't you weren't a stranger to street life, but right. but still you made certain decisions. Like, do you have any regrets? I do and I don't. You know, it, it's it's like it's like I got mixed emotions about it because it's it, it, it showed me exactly what the streets can do to you, you know? And I witnessed not just my ordeal, but other ordeals that's, that's far more worse than mine from one night of stupidity, you know what I'm saying? And like I said, that's, 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 that's the good, you know, that I got out of it because I have an eight-year-old son that's growing up in the same streets I grew up in. And I can steer him because I already know. You understand what I'm saying? Mm. I've already done everything you get ready to do, son. You know, and at eight years old, I instilled in him, you know, I got you. Just listen to me. You know, I got you. I promise you. <laughs> you know, just listen to me because I know what's going to come your way. I know. I already know. Just listen to me because I know which way. You know, because I made all the wrong turns. So long as he don't do what I did, he's you know. But I mean, just to let you know, I'm, I mean, I wasn't a, a bad kid in the sense I won't run around, you know, cussing in the streets and just drinking and drug. It wasn't nothing like that, you know what I'm saying? I was a hustler, you know. And uh, uh, the only reason I picked up a gun is because somebody robbed me. Thank you for listening to episode two of the Free Scotty J documentary podcast series i encourage you to take a look at the show notes of this episode if you'd like to get in contact with me mika you'll find my email address along with all of my social media contact information also um, i'm going to encourage you to please support this podcast via patreon you'll find that information also in the show notes next week episode three we get to it we figure out what exactly Scotty has done. So until then, y'all stay free.